0: If you're in the market for a new CRM or even an upgrade I'd recommend not settling for a disconnected complicated platform. That's because HubSpot's easy and powerful CRM platform seamlessly connects your teams and your customers so that growing your business is a joy for everyone. Grow better at HubSpot.com Hello, I'm Arvin Hickman, and welcome to our final episode of the Campaign Podcast for this year. I'm joined by my colleagues to review the year that was for Adland, talk about some of the ads we enjoyed most, major media developments, and what lies ahead for 2022. Welcome to the podcast, Campaign UK Editor-in-Chief Gideon Spanier, UK Editor Maisie McCabe, Deputy Editor Gemma Charles, and our Work and Inspiration Editor Imogen Watson. How are you all? Good. Good, thanks.
1: We're almost there. Yep. (laughs)
0: Full of energy. Well, look, it's been another epic year of industry news and developments, a book ended by COVID chaos. The Omicron variant has cancelled many Christmas parties across the nation, but perhaps not those in Downing Street. However, um, I just wanted to um, ask you guys to begin with, what plans have you got for Christmas? Are you getting to see loved ones this year, Uh, Maisie?
1: I'm hoping so, although I'm not getting – like I haven't emotionally let myself get too excited. I don't know, it makes me sound like a complete pessimist. But um, I've, not, I've not seen my parents since 2017 at Christmas. Wow. The first two years kind of by design. But, um, but yeah, and they, so they've never had Christmas with my daughter. So, yeah, um, hopefully we'll be seeing them.
0: Fingers crossed. What about yourself, Gemma?
2: I'm in the same situation, really, in that I want to spend it with family. I should have spent it with them last year. And I'm praying that uh, I get to spend it with them this year, mainly because I don't want to cook the turkey again. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I want to be I want to be hosted, and I want people to look after my kid. So that would be nice.
0: Fantastic! Is turkey on the uh, Spanier uh, Christmas menu, Gideon?
3: Yes, it is. Uh, it's like everyone else. I think I'm a little bit anxious about how it's going to play out. But as uh, I've been reading recently. Uh, Maybe Christmas 2021 will feel a lot like 2020. Ooh, don't say that. Imogen, what's what's Christmas like for you this year? What have you got planned?
4: I've got like Mission Impossible tomorrow, which is get back to Wales without contracting COVID. Um, So that's the main thing. I'm supposed to be going to Athens for New Year, but uh, I don't think that's going to happen um so yeah it's a bit of a deflated christmas but i should be spending it with family i'm holding out hope i'm trying to be positive
0: oh, fingers crossed it all goes to plan right now it's been obviously a very big year but before we go through the year with jem i just wanted to ask maisie and gideon just for some of their overriding thoughts about 2021 maisie what did you make of the past year
1: well i think it's sort of contradictory really you sort of started Things were still quite difficult, obviously people in the industry at least still working from home, and actually sort of not that much visibility about where the ad market was going. And then we had this amazing recovery and rebound, you know, ITV saying it's gonna record its biggest annual ad revenue this year, lots of money round, you know, actually had agencies struggling to find staff to work on the briefs they've won. And then obviously bookended unfortunately by the last few weeks of kind of increasing uncertainty and um, bad
3: news. Yeah, indeed. What about what about yourself, Gideon? What are some of your overriding thoughts? If you'd asked people in January 2021, what they didn't expect was a talent crisis. Uh, so many people suddenly started moving jobs when the lockdown eased in the spring. And um, it created a whole new kind of set of problems growing at 20%. Uh, okay, after declines the previous year for many businesses, presented a whole new set of challenges. So uh, I do feel that Uh, it's the cumulative effects of this pandemic have really taken their toll and uh, uh, we have a columnist Ian Whitaker who uh, writes about sort of things in the advertising world from an investment perspective and he said he feels like the permanent effects of this are, are really dramatic you know the longer this goes on the more it feels like we're not going back to 2019
0: Indeed. I mean, it certainly has felt quite a bit positive. But yeah, obviously, cautious optimism, I would say. Gemini, you wrote a a year in review type piece for our winter edition of Campaign Magazine. What have been some of the major issues that caught your attention this year?
2: Yeah, well, it was very much a sort of (laughs) COVID dominated. Um, You know, we, we started off in lockdown. And as I started to write it, it occurred to me that, you couldn't just almost start it just in January because everything had sort of stemmed from still that big moment in March 2020 when the world sort of changed. So, yeah, I mean, it was really, uh, you know, it's still the overarching dominant thing. I mean, just as a sort of ridiculous, funny aside, I, I filed the piece. So i would got 4000 words out of the way. I was really happy to have done that. Then, so that was, uh, let me get the date. It was Wednesday, the 26th of November. I filed the piece, late with my deadline, but let's not go into that. <laughs> and uh, so I was quite pleased to get that out of the way. Then I had a sort of cautiously optimistic outro. Then on the Thursday, there were rumblings about a new variant. And then by Friday, <laughs> the variant had a name, which is the sort of unpronounceable for people in the ad industry, Omicron. Everybody goes to say Omnicom, don't they? So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, so it was just like... So I, I actually sent a WhatsApp to Gideon Maisie saying, uh, I might have to rewrite that outro, I think, because maybe I was a bit on the bright side with this. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it just gives... A, that's just to illustrate the kind of how, you know, how we've been living with this uncertainty last year, and it sort of continued through the year as well. So, yeah, I mean... Stemming from that is obviously work work from home. So we got to the sort of year, year anniversary um, in March of working from home and campaign did quite a good piece, actually, where we got, we surveyed the leaders um, of ad agencies and got them to, um, ad, and media agencies, actually, I should correct myself there, and got them to um, just reflect on what they've learned through that year, how they were feeling and, you know, that a lot of stuff came through, a lot of stuff about they've got a new kind of empathetic leadership style. But then people people were dying to get back, but they were still dying to get back to the office. Actually, one of the things that we covered quite a lot um, as a kind of special series was the strategies that um, would be used when we got back to the office. So I think Annette King, for instance, uh, told us about the publicist um, sort of philosophy when they went back, which would be heads down, heads up and heads together. And so we got quite a few kind of industry leaders um, telling us how they would sort of navigate the old
0: new normal. Did you feel sort of the industry has gotten to grips a bit more in terms of working patterns or do you still feel there's a lot of test and, and test and see uh, and, and there's no sort of blueprint, if you like, for how to uh, uh, hybrid work hybridly in, in a lot of these creative environments?
2: I think people are making a go of it. There, there was one agency that said, "Well, if everybody came in now, I don't know if we could, we could." Because I mean, there's you know, it's it's been like a, a weird period where there's been recruitment as well. And one agency was saying, "I don't know if we could have everybody in." So there there are these quite weird things that perhaps would have have only played out properly since since the summer, but. Mm didn't get a chance to kind of bed in because before you knew it, we we, we were sort of working from home again. Um, I mean, other things, uh, we had a sort of summer of a lot of people moves. So uh, the the sort of eye-catching one was Sam Hawkey leaving uh, Saatchi and Saatchi, uh, where he was chief executive, uh, to take the AMV role. So that was one of the big moves. Larissa Vince has gone uh, from now to TBWA to be chief executive as well, of course, formerly of this parish. So that's an interesting one. Interesting one for us. Where we could all be. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, indeed, she was deputy editor of campaign. So who knows? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> then you had a few sort of shock moves, didn't you? Like James Wildman leaving Hearst. And then you had Tim Pearson leaving Sky Media as well.
0: Yeah, that was, quite a, that was quite a surprise one, wasn't it? I mean, he'd only been in the role for a matter of less than a year. Anyway, he was only there for a short period of time, wasn't he? Did you have any sort of sense? I know you've been sort of sniffing around to try and work out why he may have left
3: and, and what happens next for Sky. Did you get anywhere with that? Did you get a sense for what, what happened there? Well, I don't think anyone's ever said anything on the record. So let's treat this as in the realm of speculation. But I think moving into any big corporate business like Sky is now, owned by Comcast, it's a different kind of beast from being in an agency, especially in a, say, local agency market where you've got quite a lot of independence.
0: Aside from um, big people moves, there was also some other huge issues in the industry, were were there?
2: Yeah, so, I mean, unfortunately, the issue of sexual harassment uh, came up this year in quite a sort of explosive way. So um Zoe Skeman who's actually our number one trailblazer in the annual uh published um a sort of long article called Mad Men Furious Women where she sort of documented like terrible terrible stories of sexual harassment and um, general bad everything ranging from like the most serious sexual harassment to things that are equally serious but just bad behavior and you know it was like desperately sad reading about these women's story i think it was i think it was all women's stories so and then it was followed up by battle cry which was a sort of manifesto that you know said that there was going to be sort of zero tolerance of um this kind of behavior and that things wouldn't be escalated through an organization they would now actually just go to the police if if there were any kind of issues so So, yeah, I mean, it was timely as well because that was when people were beginning to return to the office. So there was a feeling that some women might be worried again about having to face their abusers. So, yeah, I mean, it certainly sort of sent shockwaves through the industry. You could call it um, a Me Too moment, I suppose.
0: Yeah. Do do you sort of feel that it's changed the the dial a little bit in terms of sexual harassment in the industry?
2: You know what? I'm going to say I don't know. I hope so. I mean, I I certainly feel that there has to be, you know, the time for warm words is long past. So, you know, I'd like to think that if anybody did have an issue now, that it would be taken with the utmost seriousness.
0: Yeah. The other the other issue that you sort of highlighted ahead of this podcast was culture wars. Can you give us a bit of a rundown on that, Gemma?
2: It's been it's been a sort of year of a lot of people being angry for various things hasn't it and a lot of arguing and definitely you know it's been sort of rancorous hasn't it really Mm -hmm. that hasn't that hasn't been a good side of this year and so i mean adland i i would say that adland had more or less avoided a lot of the sort of main cultural stuff but then towards the end of the year it did get sucked in uh so what you had was the john lewis home insurance ad which um to be quite honest, I think we all sat. <laughs> Perhaps it just shows something about us, I suppose, because we watched it and we didn't actually think for one moment that it, there was anything particularly controversial. because no. I think even Arvin, didn't you review it in um, on on a podcast? In fact,
0: yeah, it, we did initially. We we didn't pick up on that that whole you know controversy around sexuality and that sort of stuff. But, I mean, I think the the bigger controversy, actually, which was pointed out, um, is how it it probably misled viewers in terms of what home insurance covers.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's the the thing, actually. So what you had, uh, so the um, ASA got a load of complaints about it, most of which were around the sexualisation of a child, something that sort of never, (laughs) we, we, we kind of caught up with it when we saw the complaints coming in. And then but what it was actually then pulled by john lewis for um you know potentially misleading customers about what home insurance covered so so that was a bit of a bit bit of a weird one but it it did give a i guess it did give a little bit of a peek into how contentious some of these issues are and how the the sort of strength and depth of feeling people people have out there that you know, let's be honest, sitting in London sometimes you might not necessarily like know about. So, yeah, that was that was an interesting one. And then the other sort of thing that, again, I, I personally would not have known was coming was just that sort of a, a jokey, a jokey kind of clip in uh, BBH's ad for Tesco uh, showing Father Christmas with a Covid pass. You know, all very done, all very in, humorously, to my mind. Got well, went on to be like the second most ever complained about ad in history.
0: Incredible, isn't it?
2: <laughs> that was incredible, and again showed showed a sort of strength and depth of feeling that, you know, I I wouldn't have Im- I wouldn't have imagined, to be quite honest, because it did seem such a kind of trifling kind of thing.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, indeed. I mean, one of the big culture war developments of the past year, and we're going to discuss this a bit a bit later on is GB News and how it's almost become a, a new home for culture wars on, on TV. Imogen, it's a good time to bring you into it. Uh, what were some of the sort of creative moments that really shook 2021? And that really stood out for you?
4: So when I started thinking about this, uh, time is just so warped for everyone, not just for me. So it's strange to think that the, the most important thing at the beginning of the year was the, obviously the max, uh, vaccination drive, which is now kind of being sandwiched with the booster drive that we're in now. Um, but yeah, at the beginning of the year, it felt like nothing was more important than making sure that people got vaccinated. Um, and there was various ways and approaches and particular failures, I guess, in using creativity to try and get that message across. Um, but my favourite was um, from the period of that time was Elton John and Michael Caine's uh, PSA, um, which was organised by Lord Aradarzi. Uh, Lord um, and he leads the Imperial React COVID Surveillance Study Group. And it was made in-house by the NHS. Um, but essentially it was filmed in the style of a casting video.
0: Mm, yeah, it was, quite, it was quite funny.
4: Yeah, it had Elton John being Elton John, obviously, uh, and just
3: sort of getting beaten by Michael Caine. So this is the bit where you're going to have the vaccine now, Elton, so just kind of pretend that you're having the vaccine from a nurse. Oh, What was that, Elton?
0: That was me acting. Okay, let's cut there. And as you can see, I'm still standing. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
4: They really hit the message home um, and just did it in quite a humorous way without, you know, being insensitive to to obviously how everyone was feeling at the time.
2: It felt very un-government advertising, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and it was interesting it was made in-house because obviously everything else is kind of
4: come from Mullen Lowe and all the different agencies. But um, yeah, it just considering everything else just felt very serious. The tone was just like, you know, depressing uh, to have two superstars like that naturally just filling the role. um, it just felt really, yeah, welcome. And then I'll sort of move on to obviously the summer of sport which was like you know
0: massive summer of sport, massive
4: summer of sport. um you know after just disappoint- disappointing lack of sport the year before um obviously the euros all brands and sponsors and whatnot were just eager to latch onto the hype um but my particular favorite um was an adidas billboard uh by the coroner which turned up in glasgow um and for anyone who understands the Scottish people, particular Glaswegians, um, obviously, with whenever England plays in a tournament, you're, it's hard to miss a chorus of so "It's coming home." But Adidas was very provocative uh, in the fact that they had this massive blue billboard. It said "It's coming home," but they scratched it out and put "Hame," uh, which obviously is the Scots for "home." If I, if I have to explain that, um, but I just, I just thought it was really simple, really brilliant. I am a sucker for out of home. I really love a good billboard. Uh, and you can just imagine everyone like going past it being like yeah it's coming home <laughs> him
0: it was such fertile ground wasn't it, as well for brands and, and also for you know the broadcasters ITV did extremely oh, well God. during those couple of months <laughs> uh, pulled in a lot of advertising revenue that really helped add, a, add, add some polish to their their um, annual figures uh, were there any other sort of bits of creative around the summer of sport that really stood out for you
4: Yeah, so to follow on from obviously broadcasters, I think for me particularly the best Olympic campaign was from BBC, obviously BBC Creative. I just thought the craft was excellent. The premise of it was, I remember being on holiday and seeing it on the TV and being like gutted I wasn't in work, which is not something I want to admit to say, but I was like, oh, I really want to write about that campaign. I remember thinking that's brilliant. an animation it takes people through an adventure of street signs and arcades and sports fanatic bedrooms and whatnot like it's got a really punchy really well executed ad yeah i thought that was my favorite i don't know if you guys had a favorite olympics campaign
2: i was just going to say i gave that pick of the week uh so i was really impressed with that it was just sumptuous wasn't it and there were so many details and I found that you wanted to keep. You, know, you had. You wanted to watch it again and again just to pick out some of the little details. There was just so many different references. It was like filled to
4: the brim with little tiny. It's just the craft of it. It was brilliant.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Really good.
4: And then obviously you can't talk about the Olympics without the Paralympics, and it was the third year running for uh, for Creative and Channel 4's Superhuman campaign.
2: Yeah. would
3: you go? So you might as well quit,
4: if you haven't got it. This time it kind of ran with the premise that to be an Olympian, Paralympian, there's got to be something wrong with you. Um, so it served a more gritty look at the trials and tribulations of competing at the Games. But um, I don't know how you guys thought it compared to previous years, whether they were able to sort of, I mean, keeping them coming every year is, every, every four years is a very difficult thing to do. So um, how do you think it compared to previous years?
0: I mean, I, I really liked it. I thought it was quite edgy. I, I thought the, the messaging was very brave. Uh, the execution was brilliant. Um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're always so good. It, it's just it's just interesting to see how they can keep, you know, you, they can keep sort of getting new iterations of, of the sort of same concept and and make them really appealing and, and really quite brave and bold. So what else caught your, your attention, Imogen?
4: Well, I guess everything. In the, it felt like the whole year was heading towards COP26. Um, so obviously there was a general sort of, more brands and you know agencies trying to be more responsible to the planet for better or worse um but the one that sort of sticks in my mind the coolest thing i saw um was from nasal spray um Otravin. Um, and they collaborated with an architecture firm um, and Sachi and Saatchi, Um and, they, and it was based in Warsaw, Poland. But they created the world's first air purifying biotechnological playground in Warsaw, which was essentially uh, an environment for kids to play in. But it cleaned their air as they breathed to try and raise awareness of the impact of air pollution on children's health. So it was just something that was really demonstrative. It was so easily, you know, it, it happened in Warsaw, but it was spread all, all online. Um, it was just something that was very different. And really effective and get a message across. And in terms of COP26, um, yeah, the one that stood out for me was Don't Choose Extinction, um, which was from the United Nations Development Programme. And it had starred a Strathford youth... Tractor. I've got it written phonetically here, and it obviously didn't help, <laughs> but a dinosaur. I'm just going to say dinosaur. <laughs> I try and pretend I'm into them, but I can never, they never say their names. Um, who takes to a podium um, and to deliver an important message about climate change, you know, as we head towards our sixth mass extinction. I don't know if it's going to happen, but there's mm-hmm. potential.
0: And who better to tell that story than a dinosaur?
4: Exactly. I just thought it was a very <laughs> brilliant sort of clear, and it was voiced by Jack Black, you know, um, it's a Jack Black dinosaur. You can't really go wrong. Um, but yeah, he bases it all on own experience.
3: Listen up, people. I know a thing or two about extinction. And let me tell you, and you'd kind of think this would be obvious, going extinct is a bad thing. And driving yourselves extinct? In 70 million years, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. At least we had an asteroid. What's your excuse?
4: That was a year in the making, um, and it was um, the UNDP, they worked with Activista, which was an LA-based, um, cause-centred agency. So it was a long time coming. Yeah, that
0: was definitely, that's definitely one of the more memorable ones that I can gather. Let's move along from COP to Christmas.
4: Christmas! Um, yeah, I think the whole general vibe of the ads this year was kind of like, nothing's going to stop us. Um, which made me feel a little bit unsettled at time and given that we're kind of, everything's turning a bit sour <laughs> particularly this week um yeah with christmas plans falling apart it's been an interesting one but the whole debate kind of coming out of this christmas is after the last one you know is the the magic back um i don't know what you guys felt about the array of christmas ads this year
2: i don't know if this is telling but did we include any in our top um 15 no so I think that is quite telling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that that's that's interesting uh, that we, we didn't feel uh, the need to. I mean, yeah, they were um they were cheery. They you know, the budgets had been spent, which perhaps were not spent last year. And well, I mean, it wasn't in many cases, it wasn't even possible to to do a sort of big budget thing with a lot of people because of sort of social distance and restrictions that were in place when you would have been like filming your Christmas ads um so yeah i mean that they were they were cheery they were they were fine like i guess perhaps i didn't get as excited as i have uh previous years
1: i mean i would like to say that the you know there were some great christmas ads made and i'm sure they were you know produced under really difficult conditions you know complicated conditions and you know the fact was we just kind of we decided that there were other ads that were better um so it wasn't to kind of denigrate any of the you know, the Christmas ads that, um, and you know, there were, there were fun ones, there were sad ones, there were, um, you know, beautiful ones. Um, but we just kind of felt there were another 15 kind of across the, across the year that merited, um, space first.
4: I was just going to highlight that um, we did actually choose. So we started a video series um, this year, uh, Pick of the Ads. And the one that we did choose uh, for the top of the Christmas ads was Waitrose. Um, and essentially, the whole premise of it is, um, is Adam and Eve DVD. And the whole premise is it's food is the best part of Christmas. Sprouts that are mostly panchetta.
1: And stuffing. Yes, it was me. I ate the stuffing. All of it. Because the
4: best bit of Christmas is the food. It just stood out for its humour. So just want to put a shout out for for Waitrose, um, as it was our pick of the pick of the ads and also give a shout out for the video that everyone should
3: watch. It's really interesting because Imogen has done this uh, video show for us. And actually, I can let you in on a little secret of the editing process. When we did the episode about Christmas ads, we actually, after the edit, we went back and changed it a bit because there were quite a lot of ads which all had a very similar tone. And I think that speaks to something. It speaks about the anxiety that some brands feel, the fact that maybe it's harder to get creative inspiration when we've not been leading such stimulating lives. Um, but again, as Maisie said, I think we give a lot of credit to all of the brands and agencies and production companies that do this. It's very, very hard. And... Um, You know, like we've been saying all along, this has been really testing for people. And um, it's why why I think we try not to be too harsh about people's work at the moment. But for that reason, it's hard just to show up.
2: Yeah, maybe I was a bit harsh.
0: Just a quick reminder to our listeners as well. We have reviewed quite a lot of Christmas ads in um, the past few episodes of the campaign podcast. So do make sure you have a listen to that. Right, let's talk about media. Uh, Now, 2021 has certainly been a much more positive year than 2020. Although there have have been hiring and retention issues for the industry to grapple with, there's been quite a bit of recovery in media spend across most channels. I recently wrote a piece about uh, Group M's forecast that shows the UK is leading the way for mature markets with ad spend up a staggering 37% this year, uh, a huge improvement on the 2.6% decline. A lot of its growth is in digital uh, and and to a lesser a great TV, but channels like Outdoor and more recently Cinema, thank you James Bond, are also doing really well. Uh, When I speak to media buyers, some of the major developments in TV, such as addressable advertising and the ability to buy TV via programmatic platforms, is what excites them the most. And another interesting trend has been that a lot of online businesses are now investing heavily in traditional channels, such as TV. The Deliveroo's, Just Eats, Kazoo's, Compare the Markets, Uh, you know, there's also a lot more small, non-traditional brands, uh, even quite localised brands, that are investing in TV as the uh, you know cost to enter TV uh, reduces on VODs and places like that. Gideon, what was your take in terms of the recovery? Was it m- much better than what you would have
3: expected, right? It was much better than was expected, I think, um, because there's been a lot of pent-up demand and consumption. I have asked a few people, is there going to be a sudden pullback on ad spend this year? You know, Could could the re- the final numbers be revised down? And I think pretty much all the money has been spent for 2021 already. Uh, it's been a very, very strong year. You, you know, and it's been surprising in a way because I think just sent, essentially, thanks to the governments around the world supporting businesses, it's been tough for many businesses, but essentially the economies have not collapsed. Uh, goodness knows what happens when you st- store up all the debt next year we know from having talked to some agencies the forecasts are still for pretty good growth it's never going to be sort of double digit i think in 2022 um but it's it's been remarkable i think tv has definitely been a beneficiary of things like cinema and outdoor you know being affected by people staying at home
0: yeah and also some major events i guess have helped fill tv coffers you know things like the euros you've obviously got you know Huge investments in ITV, um, record year for them actually, which is quite incredible. Um, and this this includes pre pre COVID years as well. Uh, Maisie, do you have any sort of thoughts about media spend across different channels and and where it might head?
1: Our current measure, the way we measure media spend, I suppose, obviously we still use um, Nielsen, and Nielsen provides a, a really good assessment and and estimate of money that's being spent above the line but when we're in a a position where i think it's sort of forecast we're getting to close to sort of 80 percent of ad spend being digital then you know it it sort of it raises some questions about how we can measure or better measure and assess that really um because um i mean it's huge and obviously a lot of that is in is in search um and is in you know directly through facebook um and that's one of the things that we found a few years ago where there was you know, the digital premium digital publishers obviously just weren't getting um, you know the same increase in spend as the as the platforms were and you know and and it's very difficult to measure obviously they were it's impossible to measure basically how much is being spent with Google and Facebook so um, you know I just sort of it was just on my mind as I was sort of looking at the new business table and thinking about it for next year I don't think we've got another answer in terms of another way to measure ad spend but. Um, But, you know, if anyone's got ideas, like get in touch.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I think measurement in general is going to be a major issue um, in the year ahead. Uh, Look, another major development this year was the launch of GB News, which let's be honest, has struggled a bit. It faced a major advertiser boycott. Um, Its figurehead Andrew Neil left after only a couple of months, quite acrimoniously, we are led to believe. Uh, It initially promised it would be sort of a non-partisan channel to represent or provide voices um, that the UK mainstream outlets tend to ignore, especially in the regions. Uh, But generally you can sort of argue that it's really lurched to the right quite a bit, hasn't it? With, you know, the hiring of figures like Nigel Farage and and other sort of more well-known right-wing voices. Do you you think there is a future for GB News in the long term or or do you think it'll slowly fizzle away as a commercially viable outlet?
2: I think that, you know, it's difficult, isn't it? Because, and I've tried to watch it and I just find it unwatchable. But then you know, there are different views across the country. Now, it, it certainly doesn't seem to be pulling the viewers in. I mean, it was in our, well, it was in the magazine a few times, actually, uh, mentioned in our review of the year, and also it was given the number one Adland mishap. <laughs> so, you know, because at times I think some of the shows were attracting zero viewers. So how long you can carry on with that, I don't know, but has... Nigel Farage giving it a boost. Are there more viewers because of that, or possibly? Well, maybe. I don't know. But may, yesterday I saw as well that Darren Grimes. They've recruited him as well, haven't they? Yep, that's right. So, you know they're they're certainly they're certainly splashing the cash, um, but it it just feels like, you know, they need to. We need to see if they're going to become something that you have to actually have on your media schedule, or will what's happening. Uh, now, where there are sort of boycotts by stealth, whether that will whether that will continue.
0: It's it's quite interesting, isn't it? Because they said that they wouldn't be a Fox News type outfit, but it feels increasingly like that. That's kind of what they're going for. And, and next year, they're going to have even more competition when UK launches its own um, channel, Talk TV, which has secured uh, Piers Morgan as a presenter. So you know, it it sounds like you know that could even fragment their audience even further.
2: Yeah, I don't think they're allowed to wear any kind, of, because they have to, there's the impartiality rules in this country, aren't there, in terms of broadcasters. So, you know, they, I don't think they're allowed to sort of go out there and say, we're, we're right wing or whatever. But you only have to look at some of the star presenters to, to see that they... they Well, it it certainly gives a picture, it gives a flavour, doesn't it? So, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting with uh, a, a new competitor next
0: year it's definitely one worth revisiting uh, i think in 2022 to see if they get getting the audiences and and backing they need to continue uh, one of the other major uh, media stories this year um, also involves tv it's of course the government looking to privatize channel 4 uh, the government ran a public consultation about c4 privatization and it's i think it's fair to say this has received quite a lot of resistance across the industry Um, especially, you know, when you think about the service that Channel 4 provides, its mandate, um, and it's also performed reasonably well commercially. Now, no decision has yet been made, um, but I'm interested to get your thoughts on this, Gideon, about whether you think, you know, the privatisation is still a distinct possibility, and and hypothetically speaking, if it does happen, uh, what does that mean for the media landscape?
3: Oh, well, thanks for asking me the difficult question. I'm not sure I can give you a straight answer. I'm going to go back a step and say um, Maisie McCabe led a great campaign called For the People in September, making the case that Channel 4 is better in public ownership. Um, And I think there have been a lot of uh, people, leaders making the same point, including pretty much the management uh, team of Channel 4. And uh, I don't think there is a very strong case for privatization. Uh, I'm interested to see whether all the problems with the pandemic mean that it comes off the political agenda. Uh, I've heard all kinds of speculation, one of which is, you know, maybe if the government so determined that, that uh, Channel 4's management might do an MBO, which would be a, a management buyout, which would be super interesting, where you could actually make it commercial but uh, have it with... the uh, some kind of uh, team that actually believes in it. I'm going to say pass, I've, I've dodged the question a bit. Okay. Maisie, what, what's, your, what's your take on it? And what sort of uh, feedback, I guess, because
0: have we gotten to the campaign?
4: Well, I think, I mean, the reason I
1: we did the campaign was because I think there was an... Uh, well, my assumption is that people understand the kind of production industry's argument for iChannel 4. Um, should remain in um, in public ownership. Obviously, Channel Four doesn't make any of its own TV programmes; it commissions them all, and has been responsible for really driving a, a kind of world-beating production um, business. Well, lots of businesses in the UK. Um, but I felt like that the the advertisers' argument and the agency's argument that actually by um, having you know being freed from kind of shareholders and having to make a profit it was able to be more creative and more um you know diverse in its programming and thus reach audiences that wouldn't normally maybe watch commercial telly um was a really important point to make because i felt like you know maybe i mean uh, it's it's just an assumption but you know we are there's a the Obviously, we have a conservative government at the moment and traditionally they listen to, you know, the voice of business. And so here we, ha- you know, we're as the, as the voice of the advertising industry, obviously represent, um, you know, lots of businesses who are um, helping companies drive their own businesses through advertising and um and and so we got um a bunch of people from the industry from all sorts of different holding groups and independents to sign a letter that we then submitted as, as part of the consultation and as gideon said there's has uh, been been lots of chats and assumptions and things about what's happening since but um but i sure don't know <laughs> for sure but um but you know it's, it's it'll be something that will be an issue next year and i ju- i feel quite passionately that the that Channel 4 offers something different in the media landscape and it's done a good job of um, sort of diversifying and building its digital proposition um, and should be given a chance to, to continue.
0: Yeah, and if you think about the government's levelling up agenda, I mean, Channel 4 is a classic example of a business that's doing exactly that. Um, It's not costing the taxpayers anything. Uh, It it runs at a a profit, uh, operating profit, which, you know, so it's self-sustainable. There doesn't really seem to be an adequate business case to privatise it. But, you know, as as you mentioned, Maisie, this is more of a political or ideological issue, um, perhaps, than... Than it is a business one. Um, look, the final thing I just wanted to mention about you know media land in the past year is just how strongly some of the omnicom um, agencies and public media agencies have performed. Uh, you know, we've got MG OMD has recently retained the government media buying account. It's um, omniGov division. It's the first time I believe in in many many years that a agency has retained that account, and it also won big at this year's Media Week awards. Uh, Natalie Bell and Paul Knight. You know, have done some outstanding work with the government and, and for other clients as well. And you've also got Zenith picking up some major accounts, including Lloyds Bank and, you know, Starcom's star, so to speak, has really risen. So some outstanding work for those guys indeed. Uh, now, in our final segment, um, I just wanted to ask each of our panelists to take a look into their crystal balls and identify an issue. Um, that will be important for the industry to consider in 2022? Imogen, let's start off with you.
4: Oh, big question. (laughs) Um, In terms of creativity, I guess it's just this uncertainty um, as we head into the new year and, you know, production seems to be the thing that has been mostly sort of getting around it. But I think at the end of the day, um, it comes down to the fact that, you know, for the last two years They've figured it out. So whether it's directing remotely or, or, or production remotely, um, what happens with COVID, I think now this is kind of the new normal for now. Um, and also in terms of just going back to the office and creativity there, um, it's interesting to know, you know, how long this is going to be until we're back again, because from everyone I've spoke to, um, in terms of being creative, it is just so difficult to recreate that at home. Obviously there are benefits from, from working from home, um, but... In terms of actually just being together and, and working on campaigns, it's a lot harder. It's just what comes next.
0: Okay. Gemma, what's your top issue to look out for in 2022?
2: I guess in terms of diversity, I wonder if the whole kind of great resignation talent crisis offers an op- a real opportunity for um, agencies and brands to, you know, kind of think, let's go outside, let's really... Push this one and go outside of our, our the usual way that we we get people that we recruit. So could it could it be could it be actually a catalyst for a more diverse workforce, which I would like to see.
0: It's a really good point, isn't it? It, it? I guess it sort of resets things a bit and it gives agencies an opportunity now to look at you know a wider talent pool outside of the London bubble. So it's it's a really interesting one to follow. Maisie, what's your top issue? I
1: mean, one of the things that I sort of tried to Put across in my column for the winter mag um was just this idea of we can't wait i suppose for things to get better like if there's something you want to do you need to do it now really um and we obviously had the kind of you know the the tragic death of and ledwidge in early november um and you know really really talented director who made just some wonderful ads um and I don't know it just feels like the the world has obviously been through so much the industry is really trying to get you know in some challenging conditions but um just feels like you know next year we just need to go at it really as much as we can while being kind and caring to each other
0: Gideon um and finally
3: what what what's your top issue so I'm holding a pair of Oculus Quest Uh, goggles or whatever you like to call them and I've recently been in the metaverse I have to say it was a really fascinating experience I had to choose my avatar and you know we we were something we were doing in partnership with uh, meta the owner and so um, we had the campaign logo we had the meta logo and just this virtual world it's it's it is super super interesting and uh, I think on the last quarterly earnings calls of all the big US companies, the metaverse came up in dozens of these calls because Mark Zuckerberg did actually put virtual reality um, on the sort of corporate agenda. And I think this is not yet mass technology, but it's coming. And I have to say, as a journalist, I'm always skeptical. And I just think this is a really fascinating new world the technology is so much better than it was uh, even a couple of years ago it's like being inside the screen and uh, i would liken it a little bit to like being in a cartoon it is very very immersive and i have to say it's scary what some of this will mean for the future.
0: It is amazing and, and, and kind of scary at the same time. And I, I kind of agree with you. I think if we look at the next year, one of the big recurring themes will certainly be how brands play in the metaverse, how agencies live in the metaverse and, and that sort of stuff. It'll be absolutely fascinating to watch. Hopefully regulation will go with it. Um, but anyway, that's all we have time for. Thank you, Gideon, Maisie, Gemma and Imogen for joining the campaign podcast and to all our guests throughout the year. Um, also, a big thank you to our producer, Lindsay Riley from Refreshed Audio. And finally, thank you to all of our loyal listeners, partners, and supporters um, for the campaign. I sincerely hope you all have a wonderful and safe Christmas with your loved ones and a happy new year. We hope that you will join us when we return in 2022. Until then, on behalf of the campaign team, goodbye.